We all want a business like Netflix or Amazon Prime. Businesses where once a customer engages with them, it becomes automatic and a part of their lifestyle from then on. But how do you build that forever transaction? I'm Robbie Kelman-Baxter, and I have been studying subscription and membership models for nearly 20 years. In this podcast, my guests and I share the secrets and strategies of the membership economy. Join us for Subscription Stories, True Tales from the Trenches. My final guest of Season 3, Joanna Strober, was the very first guest on the Subscription Stories podcast. Back then, we were talking about Kerbo, the children's service for WW. That's Weight Watchers' new name. Today, she's back to talk about her latest venture in direct-to-consumer healthcare, MIDI. While Kerbo focused on helping kids get to and maintain a healthy weight, MIDI's for women at midlife, helping them get better as they get older. You may have noticed my interest in how the way we stay healthy is changing, with guests from Whoop, 30 Madison, and Strava this season alone. I am fascinated by all of the transformation in the space as organizations embrace the concept of a forever transaction. After all, what forever promise is more compelling than more happy, healthy minutes? So watch this space. Healthcare is just embarking on a massive rethinking of how to better align their business models with patient outcomes. MIDI is a great example of this. In today's talk, we'll cover the consumerization of healthcare and how COVID accelerated the move to digital patient-centric health, the importance of forever transactions in treating patients, and the challenges of developing a clear business model in a highly complex environment. Welcome back to the show, Joanna. Thank you, Robbie. Excited to be here. It's so great to have you back. I know we want to talk about MIDI, your new company that you've launched. But before we get there, I want to catch people up. When we last talked to you in January 2020, you were leading Kerbo, part of WW, the company formerly known as Weight Watchers. A lot's happened since then. Can you catch us up? Yeah. So we sold Kerbo to Weight Watchers in 2018. And I spent two years integrating Kerbo within the overall business, growing the team, figuring out how to integrate it into the overall organization. And after being there for two years, I uh, promoted a number of people within my organization and decided that I was interested in pursuing other entrepreneurial ventures. Always the entrepreneur at heart. (laughs) You know, I like to solve problems. So it's always fun to kind of think about new problems to solve. So tell me about MIDI and then, then the new problem that really got you thinking about diving back in and starting a new company. So MIDI really started with some emails to friends in right around the time you and I talked in January 2020, where we were commiserating about not sleeping and the other challenges that were happening in our bodies and not really understanding what was happening, why we were all wide awake at three o'clock in the morning or having anxiety attacks or migraines and gaining weight. All these crazy things were happening to people that I knew and we weren't getting very good care. And so that really sent me down this rabbit path of trying to understand how we could get people better care, what it would take to make that happen. And what I learned is that part of the why we weren't getting good care is there are not enough trained doctors. So only 20% of OBGYNs actually get any training in menopause. And really people go to become OBGYNs because they want to deliver babies. And so there are not enough practitioners to help women in midlife after their fertile years. So the goal was how could we 
get more knowledge? How could we scale more expertise? And how could we create a company that would help women through the next period of their life? So what would you describe? We've talked last time about this concept of a forever promise, that if you want to have an ongoing relationship with your customer, you need to make them a promise to solve an ongoing problem or help them achieve an ongoing goal. How do you think of that, the promise that you want to make to these women at midlife? Such a good question, because I think a lot about that. What we want to do is thrive during this period of our time. We really want to thrive during this time period. It's not about just feeling better. It's about feeling great. And it's about helping women age healthier, live healthier, and thrive during a pretty big period of time in their life. Really, 40 plus is a long time. And we want you to live the best life that you can during that time. And that's what we're here to partner with you to do. It's a lofty goal. And it's one, obviously, for as a woman of in that age range, it's one that, that feels very personally important. Lots of hormone changes happening in your 40s, in your 50s and beyond. And that does have a huge number of health issues that I think a lot of women just power through. That's right. They're told to just grin and bear it. One of the things, obviously, that I'm interested in is how you build a model if you want to help, like as you said, if you want to help women to thrive from this point on, which is, as you said, a long time, how do you think about the way you design your business model and the offering that you put forward to your members? If I can even call them members, members, customers, whatever you, patients, what's the right term? So when you come to us as when you're a practitioner talking to our person, they're a patient, right? But we want you to feel like you're a member of our organization. And so we do believe that you're both a patient and a member when we think about our value proposition to you. What happens during this period of time is maybe you're like me and you're around 46 and you stop sleeping. And then a few months later, maybe anxiety attacks start or a year later, brain fog. And all of a sudden, you don't remember where your keys are or you've lost your car in the parking lot. And we want to be the place that you come back to as new symptoms emerge. So what we're really thinking of this is that we think of it as iterative care. You're going to come to us. We're going to help you with one problem. We're going to get to know you really well. Probably going to have some blood testing, maybe some genetic testing. And then we're going to have this big data set. And then you're going to come back and we're going to help with the next problem and the next problem. And we will also look at what supplements are you taking? What medicines are you taking? How can we evolve those as new symptoms come up? And so our goal is to be your partner during these periods of time when your hormones are fluctuating, they're going up and down, crazy things are happening. How can we partner with you during that entire process and be the trusted source for help? Yeah. So I understand the concept of, well, first of all, really interesting point about when you're with your physician or your nurse practitioner, your medical care provider, you're a patient. But in the context of MIDI, you're a member and membership has implications of longer term ongoing relationship, as does patient. Although I think patient implies that you're needing treatment, whereas member um, has some different connotations. And nomenclature is really challenging for a lot of organizations to just figure out what words do we use and what do they mean internally to us to help our team think about the people they serve in the right way. And also, how do those words land with the people we serve? We actually went back and asked all of our pilot patients this exact question. <laughs> we wanted to know, do you want to be a patient? Do you want to be a member? How could we make you feel most comfortable? And so it was actually from our conversations going back and talking to them that what they were telling us is that when they were talking to the practitioner, they were a patient. They wanted that relationship. But the relationship with MIDI 
of how we provide education to them, how we recommend the right supplements to them, or how we invite them to join us in group coaching sessions. Like that would be a membership model. And so we have thought a lot about how we talk to people and feel make them feel most comfortable. And the feedback that we've gotten, this is, this is the right approach. Got it. And what does it mean to be a member versus being a patient? Can we tease out what is as they say at Amex, right? Membership has its privileges. What does it mean to be a member? Is there a financial arrangement? Is there a data sharing arrangement? What makes one person a member and another person not a member? So we think there's two parts to this. Part of it is building a community. And we'd like you to be a member of that community. We'd like you to want to share information about your symptoms with our community so we can use machine learning over a really large group of people to give better protocols, to give better care, to tailor people's care much more broadly than just around you, but around helping the world of women to get healthier. There's actually not very much research done on women this age category. And our goal is to change that and to really have a lot more research available to on really what works for this. And for that, let's be a member of our community. Help us to solve these problems together. On the other hand, when you come to talk to your doctor, that's much more of the patient's relationship. Just to be clear, you can be a member of MIDI and have access to community data and potentially even, I don't know, direct relationships, even if you're not a paying patient? Well, being a member would be, yes, you can attend our seminars, you can come to our lectures, you can participate in discussion groups. There's all sorts of things you'll be able to do as a member of our community, and then you'll pay for the services. Your insurance company will pay for the services. Oh, even better. Exactly. (laughs) So I'm trying to keep up because there's so many things that you're bringing up that I want to dig into. So the first one is this concept of membership. One of the things that I think about a lot is that membership in many cases has three components, not always, but often, which are content, community, and what I call commerce, but it's transactional or exchange of very specific services or products. And then content is, could be articles. It could be, like you said, webinars, could be access to a database. And then community is actually people that you can talk to right? People you can talk to, people that you can write to, that you can chat with online, but a feeling of not being alone. And it it sounds like you're kind of weaving all three of those together with the patient being the little more of like what I would call commerce, although that's not really the right word here, content being the aggregated data, and then maybe community being the opportunity to interact with other individuals that have raised their hand and said, I want to share what I'm going through, or I want to ask a question. And part of the content is also, we have access to amazing expertise. So for example, we're working with Dr. Mindy Goldman, who's the expert in survivorship at UCSF, and she's going to be joining us to help train our practitioners. And what is survivorship, Joanna? Oh, sorry. Women who had breast cancer or who are at high risk of breast cancer. There's a lot of concern about the fact that when you have cancer treatments, it puts you into early menopause. And most doctors are really scared of taking care of those patients because they don't have the right level of training. So what we're going to be doing is training all of our practitioners on that, but also having talks on our website about that, having support groups on our website for women who are going through this. So we think of it as both an opportunity to offer support, offer guidance, offer education, and then also to have one-on-one visits with practitioners to discuss these issues. Really interesting. And obviously, membership is a model that I believe in, this idea of focusing on an ongoing problem, facing a group of people, knowing that group really well, and continuing to evolve the offering to meet their ongoing needs. 
in the case of healthcare, and I think you know that I had uh, someone from 30 Madison on the show and some other, there's a whole rise of digital health companies that are focusing on specific chronic health issues. And how does, this is about a big transformation in business model, moving from kind of the traditional healthcare system to this very targeted, or maybe even I should say, looking at the health of the patient through a different lens an approach with a different kind of treatment, not just patient care, but also member care, to use your distinctions there. What is the feedback you're getting from people in the old world? I mean, healthcare is a huge, huge industry. What do practitioners say? What do administrators say? What do researchers say? And how is that part going? Because I, I would imagine that people might go to their current practitioner and say, what do you think of MIDI as a solution to help me deal with whatever my inability to sleep and my anxiety and my hot flashes? So most people that we've talked to are excited because they know that there's a lack of care in this category. If you try to go to Stanford for a visit on most of these symptoms, for example, it's a nine-month waiting list in order to get in. And that's actually common all throughout the country. They're just not enough trained practitioners. So people don't actually look at this as competition. They look at it as a way that they can focus on what they are good at, which is usually delivering babies, for example, if you're an OBGYN or doing procedures and using us as a way to take care of this other type of symptom that requires expertise, but doesn't require in-person care. 50% of all counties in the United States do not even have an OBGYN. So it's not like we're like going into this really competitive business and saying, oh, you know, we're going to be taking away your patients. Instead, there's way too many patients and there's no place for them to go. So we've also been talking to large medical institutions about doing relationships with them where they refer people to us with this type of issue. And then we refer people back to them for the mammograms, for the DEXA scans, for the ultrasounds, for all the other things that people need that do require in-person care, quite honestly, I think if you look at care in five years, I believe that most care will be done through telehealth and expertise that's scaled through telehealth. And you'll go to hospitals or to in-person practitioners for procedures, but the rest of care will be given online. And it's the insurance changes also that's enabling this, right? Because for the first time, you can get reimbursed for these visits online. And so that's really enabling an entire business model that you couldn't have had two years ago. I think that's a super important point. I imagine people listening might be wondering, why is there so much happening right now in the telehealth space? Can you say a little bit more about some of the changes that have happened in the last few years that have allowed for this acceleration of digital health? Yeah. So. Specifically with regard to reimbursement and telehealth, the COVID regulations enabled you to get reimbursed for an online visit in the same way that you would get reimbursed for an in-person visit. So prior to COVID, that wasn't possible. There were telehealth providers, but they had to get reimbursed outside of the insurance system with separate contracts. Now, if you are a practitioner, you can get reimbursed the same way online as you would in person. What this enables is practitioners to get licensed in multiple states and then to get reimbursed for care across multiple states so you can actually truly expand healthcare businesses in a way that two years ago you would not have been able to do. So I believe you're going to see national healthcare brands in the next few years. You'll see a cardiovascular care brand. You'll see, obviously, you're already seeing mental health care 
brands that are national, right? Two years ago, none of that was possible. So this change in laws has enabled a new type of healthcare company to emerge, which are, they can scale expertise in a way that has never been seen before, right? So someone like Dr. Goldman at UCSF, now we can use, we can license her in multiple states. We can use her to develop protocols that are unbelievably sophisticated for people who had cancer. And now we can scale access to those protocols nationally and get reimbursed by insurance for those visits. You could never have done that until just recently. So it's really opening up. It's almost, I mean, one of the things that's coming to mind, which I know is a little crazy, is what the ride sharing companies did to New York City medallions, right? There weren't enough taxis. The taxis weren't there when you needed them. They weren't always clean and didn't always feel safe. And then suddenly this whole new group was kind of allowed in and it changed the way that the whole system worked. It sounds like you're pretty optimistic about it, not just for health for women at midlife, but also, as you said, cardiovascular care, mental health, all different categories. What are some of the challenges in being one of the early people on the frontier of this new way of treating patients? And what's different maybe from the challenges at at a place like Kerbo or even at other organizations that you've been involved with in the past? Well, so just because this has been opened up doesn't mean that it's easy, to be clear. The licensing requirements are still on a state-by-state basis. So you still need to go state-by-state to get your practitioners licensed, to get the nurses licensed. Everyone still has to What does that mean? If we want to get Dr. Mindy licensed in, let's say, Arizona or... It's a nine-month process per state and very expensive. So to set up an infrastructure like this, there's a lot of costs that you might view as unnecessary. Of course, the states control healthcare for a lot of reasons, and they're not necessarily going to, it's not going to be a national business. So that the conflict is that this, everyone, states are required to, they license the practitioners. There's no national license, right? So to build a national business, you still have to go state by state. It's expensive. It's time consuming but it's now possible. And before it was not possible. And then I'm also not going to tell you that billing is easy. Again, another really complicated process. I would say the one thing I've learned a lot about billing insurance companies, and I understand why so many sole practitioners go out of business. It is a lot of work to put in these billing infrastructures and large organizations can hire huge teams of people to do that, which is what we are having to do. It's really hard to be a sole practitioner because there's so much overhead that goes into building these billing systems. So we can now build a national business that does this, but it's hard to do that as a sole practitioner. So an interesting thing to think about or something that I think about is when I work with subscription businesses that are consumer, right, like WW, right, the only person that has to decide to pay is me. And then I pay you and the organization thinks, well, do we let her do credit cards or other forms of payment or what are the forms of payment that we're going to allow from her, but it's quite simple. Going either B2B or through a wholesale distributor is one level more complicated where you're thinking about what kind of discounts do we give if you buy it through a channel partner, for example, or if somebody is buying it on behalf of a bunch of people like you sell into a university or you sell into a company. But this is a whole different level because every individual that comes to you directly has a unique, financially complex picture, this kind of insurance or these kinds of conditions living in this state, each practitioner has a complex situation in terms of where they're allowed to practice and what their expertise is. And then there's all kinds of, I guess, legal and regulatory complexity 
some of which is there to protect us and some of which is there for historical reasons, because that's the way it was built. So there's a lot going on in the healthcare space if you want to get into this and offer. I sometimes say just because it's hard for you as the company does not mean it should be complicated for the consumer. So I guess there's two points. One is there are actually a number of companies that have emerged to help you do this. So we don't have to do this all ourselves. A few years ago, we probably would have, but now there are companies that actually have emerged specifically to help digital health companies do these types of things. There's billing companies, there's licensing companies. So we're working with a whole host of really good companies that are helping us do this and that are enabling us to scale each of the different parts of this business. We don't have to do it on our own. We wouldn't be able to do this. And we've set up the whole thing in about nine months. It would have taken three years previously to try to do something like this. Now there's a lot of APIs that are available that you can connect to a number of other systems that enable this to happen. And let's just be clear, this is not, I mean, MIDI, you have a great team, but this is not anywhere near the scale of like a WW. This is a small team of people that are working towards national presence and licensing all these people. It's a relatively small team that you have right now. Yes, right. But we expand our team by working with a lot of other partners that help us to scale faster. So you're getting ready to launch. As we record this, you're just, I don't know, seconds away, days away from launching. What is it going to look like at launch? What can people expect and who's eligible? Who is this for in the early days? Yeah, so we're launching only in California. We have insurance contracts with all the major companies in California. So if you have a California PPO, most likely you will be a potential patient or member of ours. And we are working to get more contracts as we speak. You can also do cash pay visits. So it's not only insurance. If someone wants to pay cash, that's great. But we will have all the insurance companies set up in California. And then we're going as fast as we can. We should be in 30 states by the end of 2022. So you can come to us. We have a long onboarding process where we learn a lot about you and the different symptoms and your family history. So can you walk me through? So let's say you launch next week or whatever the day is. Who's like? I live in California. I'm over 40. I'm 40. I'm noticing some symptoms, some things that where I don't feel like I'm at my best anymore and I'm not sure why. I reach out to you and then what happens? How do I know if I'm a good fit and what can I expect if I'm used to really only being a patient when I physically go to my doctor's office? Yeah. So you'll set up an appointment very similar to going to a doctor. You'll set you'll book an appointment with us. You'll tell us what your symptoms are. Instead of going in person and having to fill out a long questionnaire about your symptoms, you'll do it all online. Our doctors then have access to all of that information. So they will see everything that you put in there. You will have a visit with a practitioner. They will probably send you to get a blood test or a saliva test on what's appropriate, maybe for your hormone levels, for your thyroid, for your vitamin D or whatever else is appropriate for you. And then you will come back to another visit and we will tailor treatments to you. So We will either recommend prescription medicines or supplements. We will facilitate getting those to your home. And then you will report back to us on your symptoms and how they're resolving. And then you will come back to us in a few months to help us to continue to titrate and iterate. And we really, we think of this as an iterative process with you to help you feel better. And the more you tell us about how, what is working and what isn't, then we'll be able to change change what we're doing to respond best to your body. Okay. So I come in, I make my appointment. I fill out a questionnaire online at my convenience. My practitioner looks at that before they meet with me. We have a conversation. We go through all of the symptoms I'm feeling and 
Maybe they, they have me do some tests or get additional information. We come up with a treatment plan. And then you said, I report back. Does that mean somebody calls me and says, hey, Robbie? Actually, it's all done on text. It's all done via text. Because we need to have one thing we care deeply about is tracking that data. And we won't be able to track the data if it's on phone. <laughs> you just tell us the symptoms, right? We need you to come back to our site and give us numbers. Basically, have you improved from X to Y to Z so that we can track outcomes appropriately? We cared a lot about collecting this data so that we can help treatments and for everyone be more effective. So, and this is important, I think, for people listening. One of the big things around building a forever transaction with customers or members is the, the ongoing engagement. So I can imagine why somebody would come to you, right? Not being able to sleep, not being comfortable, no joke, right? Not being able to do work. You get your whatever is prescribed, whatever kind of treatment and recommendations are made. And then do you reach out to me to get me to come back and give you feedback? Do you schedule another meeting? What is the kind of cadence that I might expect? You, you talked earlier about this being for a very long time. That, that things I've heard other people at your organization refer to it, the symptoms as whack-a-mole, like you solve the sleeping problem, but then suddenly you're having the hot flashes or you solve the hot flashes and suddenly you have brain fog. Can you walk, talk us, to us a little bit about the engagement piece and how you keep people uh, making this into a habit and allowing you to continually improve their experience and that of, their, of the other people that are part of your larger community? So we will be reaching out to you for feedback and then suggesting that the visit cadence seems to be most appropriate at quarterly. And there's a lot of titrating involved, right? We might- What is titrating? Really changing the dosage. So you might come to me and actually be very open to hormone replacement therapy and try a, you might come to us and be very open to hormone replacement therapy and want to try the patch, right? And then there's three different types of patches. And so you'll try one patch and then you'll see how you're feeling. And then you'll come say, you know what? Actually, I've changed my mind. I think I'd like to try the gel and see if that improves my sleep a little bit more. So we'll maybe change it to the gel or maybe we'll try a pill. Like it is not one size fit all. There are lots of different approaches that are work for women. And it takes a lot of iterating and titrating and testing to see what works best. We might also say, maybe you should try the estrogen at night and the progesterone in the morning, just to give you examples. Or let's see, you're having some anxiety. We have this amazing cortisol manager that is a supplement that includes L-theanine and ashwagandha. And why don't you try to take that in the evenings and see if that helps you for your hot flashes? So there's lots of different approaches. And our goal is we have a combination of functional medicine and traditional medicine, and we're able to try both. So we will help you to figure out what is most appropriate for you. And then if you're sleeping through the night, great. If you are not sleeping through the night, let's have another visit and try something else. Got it. Joanna, I could talk to you for hours about this. And honestly, <laughs> we have. We do. <laughs> <laughs> we probably will continue. I'm a huge fan of what you're doing, both as an investor and a professional and as a personal woman at midlife who wants to feel her best every day. Before I wrap up, though, with this conversation, are you up for a speed round like we did the sure. first time? Yeah. Okay. First question, your favorite health hack. Oh, recently, it's the cortisol manager. I really think it calms my mind and helps me to sleep better. A lasting habit from your work with Kerbo. Keeping track of healthy and unhealthy foods so that I don't get stressed about what I eat. The best subscription 
your startup is using to run the business? Ooh, we are using a lot of subscriptions to run this business. Maybe Medallion, which is helping us to get our people licensed in all 50 states and keeping track of each of their eligibility to work in each state and then helping us also to get these insurance contracts in each state. I think Medallion is addictive for us. Oh, awesome. That's a good one. I've never heard of it. I'll have to look into it. The most surprising thing you've learned about health at midlife? Estrogen for most women is the fountain of youth. (laughs) Okay. And then final question for people who are listening to this, who are like you, entrepreneurs in consumer health, in digital health, telehealth, what would be one tip that you would give them to keep in mind as they launch a new way of providing healthcare? I believe that the consumerization of healthcare is really just beginning. And consumers in the end are going to make the decisions. So the most important thing is, do you have an experience that consumers like, trust, and respond to emotionally so that they feel like you're taking really good care of them? I do believe that over the next five to 10 years, we're going to have consumer brands that really focus on healthcare. And the companies that are going to win there are going to be the ones that are creating a really great consumer experience for their patients. Wow. It's fascinating. Always fascinating to talk to you, Joanna. Thanks so much for being our first guest and also our first guest to make a second visit. Really appreciate spending time with you. Thank you. This was really fun. I enjoyed it. That was our final guest of season three, Joanna Strober, founder and CEO of MIDI. For more about Joanna and MIDI, go to joinmidi.com. And for more about subscription stories, as well as a transcript of my conversation with Joanna, go to RobbieKelmanBaxter.com slash podcast. Also, if you like what you heard, as always, please go over to Apple Podcasts or Apple iTunes and leave a review. Mention Joanna and this episode if you especially enjoyed it. We read all the reviews because we want your feedback. We'll be back next season with more subscription stories. In the meantime, check out some of our most popular episodes, including those featuring Mighty Network's Gina Bianchini, product expert Elena Verna talking about the role of freemium, and Tinder CEO Renata Nyborg on going global with your subscription model. Thanks for your support and thanks for listening.